It's the Totally Football Show. Nation shot by Rooney on the ground. It's like he's 18 all over again. And amid more fuss about his misses than World Cup 2010, we stop Googling Mexico gender selection and preview a decisive weekend of qualifiers for Euro 2020. Also today, when the Czechs were sex, Northern Ireland in the nether regions, why the Azuri are playing in Verdi, a bumper haul of questions, managers on the move, a big flip reverse and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, friend. Thanks for joining us today on Totally. With us, for this special edition, we have Carl Anker. Hello, everyone. Hi, Carl. Tom Williams is here. Hello, James. And so is dog-loving Duncan Alexander. <laughs> Woof. Indeed. Sporting a freshly savaged ear. I noticed. Yeah, I've had the full ear bite treatment. Right. Um, probably asked for it, but well, I didn't actually ask for it. But it's happened, so I've got to go with it. You never know what you asked for in dog. No, no, exactly. Not the biggest story this week. Obviously, that honour falls to Colleen Rooney saying, hold my beard, Daphne de Maurier, and writing the most dramatic Rebecca reveal ever. Greatest use of ellipses, perhaps, ever. Oh, it's just perfect dramatic tension and pause. Okay, when you, when you read it, did you know what the, what the reveal was going to be? No, no. So I, I was having my 11 o'clock coffee, whatnot, got sent something in the group chat with the caption, oh my God, read this. Open the tweet. Okay, oh, this is a long notes thing. What's Kaleem Rooney done now? Reading it, reading it, reading it. And it's just the, so, what? I think someone's been leaking something. So what I've done is created a private Instagram account and just given one person false information. We've going, read the tweet, Carl. This so is Tyrion-level <laughs> Game of Thrones quality. Right. Uh, and just the reveal of it's Rebecca Vardy's account. It's like RuPaul I, I, that, rattlesnake noise. The only way that it can be improved, I think it's the greatest tweet I've ever read. Mm. I think it's the tweet that has had the biggest impact on my life. And I made the mistake of glancing to the end of the note before I read the whole thing. So I kind of right. knew what was coming, but even so, it's so unexpected. She's obviously said it's dot, 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 Rebecca Vardy's account to cover herself legally. If it just said it's dot, 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 Rebecca Vardy, yeah. that would have been even better. But take nothing away from it. Sensational I think the ending. A masterclass in infosec creative non-fiction she's at well she's more or less outed rebecca vardy as the the author Her behind account, this, anyway the account or whoever is the liaison as the the author of the secret white column in the sun as well so it's it's a real i think it belonged on live tv a reveal like that <laughs> belonged on live tv after an eight-week kind of build-up it's with the nation of gog <laughs> because for, I, for years you've had rebecca vardy sort of as the as the primo Twitter wag. Re- Rebecca Vardy's account. Rebecca Vardy's account mm. is the primo Twitter wag, as the one who sort of assumed that she swung the sword after picking up the gauntlet from Beckham and Cole and, and Abby Clancy. And then just out of nowhere, Colleen Rooney's gone, no, actually, I'm the real big dog here. All right. And the other exciting thing is that we learned that even though Colleen Rooney's only had one person reading her Instagram for the last five months, there's still more people than there are in the fact-checking department at the tabloid that swallowed the stories, <laughs> which is kind of actually not a Imagine surprise. being at one of those tabloids that they then had to spend the next hour rapidly deleting all those stories. It's, you know, rather than just kind of hold their hands up and go, yeah, we've been, we've been duped. You know, the, the kind of kind of Orwellian deletion is always a bit... I found out about it in the worst possible way, which oh. was 
on a train with hardly any Wi-Fi and, and no reception on my phone. So I was, I always think of Carl's tweet at this point where he's like, when something like this happens, it's just a, it's like a scramble for stuff people to... What tweet was that, Carl? Uh, I said, when news like this breaks, you just got to tweet as much as possible. No, no time for proofreading. Just got to get as much content out, get right. as many retweets, make as many jokes as possible. Just go, go. It right. called to mind the Sami Nasri Drip Doctors episode, which was, I think, one of the last big football was, Twitter Was that your ops. second favourite tweet ever? No, I kind of missed that. I don't think I was on Twitter that evening. It was like right. an evening thing. So wasn't that it? was the when the people who he'd had drip doctoring from put out a publicity shot of him? Yes, with a, with a female nurse. And then his account was hacked by his girlfriend, who, who basically had a few things to say about the fact that he had visited He was deleting nurse. stuff while she was putting more stuff up. Yeah. yeah. Sam and Nasri and Nasri's soon-to-be ex-girlfriend were tweeting from the same account explaining Sami and Nasri's supposed infidelity. Football Twitter when, on days like this is unparalleled. Um, it was very unifying as well. You know, suddenly, mm. you know, Twitter's very divisive often, but this is just a moment everyone comes together to, to enjoy. Everyone but Rebecca Vardy, who said, I'm not being funny, but seriously, I don't need the money. Is it possible that, that Colleen should actually have gone to her and spoken to her about it and that there was actually somebody who hacked her account just saying, At should she have spoken to her about it? of recording, mm-hmm. I believe Rebecca Vardy's on the Victoria Derbyshire show doing a forensic analysis over who okay. had access to her account. Um, you know it's serious when someone brings out the line, I'm not being funny. That's that's a real sort of... And it is quite unfortunate because Rebecca Vardy is heavily pregnant, apparently. Mm. Um, which, yep. it's never good to be stressed out when you're in that sort of thing. Absolutely not. Hey, let's draw a veil over the whole sorry business. We should. We yeah. should. True. And it uh, could move happen on. in the Toastly community. You never know. Do you I hope it does. <laughs> yeah. What, a tweet would cause controversy? I'm blocking everyone apart from one member in this room. <laughs> Just to see. So, um, yeah, that's Duncan interesting. Has been anyway, leading me with the stats for a while. Anyway, anyway, a huge weekend of Euro qualifying drama, luckily, awaits us. So let's get banging on that. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Italy have a new jersey and it's green as they take on Greece. Spain are seven points clear of their nearest rival in their group. Belgium are playing San Marino. All big stories this week and all three sides could wrap up their place and next summer non-geo-specific festival of football. As could Ireland who are top of their group under Mick McCarthy, Shevchenko's Ukraine who are similarly well positioned and Russia who've got Scotland and then are away at Cyprus. Also potentially going through in the next few days Gareth Southgate's England who need four points from the Czech Republic and Bulgaria. Elsewhere, Scotland, who are fifth in their group and have lost their last three, visit Russia, as we mentioned. Wales are at home to Croatia and away to Slovakia, matches that are crucial for their slender remaining chances. And Northern Ireland, in a group with Germany and the Netherlands, and currently behind the Mannschaft on goal difference alone, journey to Holland to take on the Dutch, who are just three points behind, with a game in hand. Can the Irons continue their remarkable campaign? That's where we begin our international roundup. Joining us now on the line, Northern Ireland football writer Keith Bailey, who's out in a windy Rotterdam. Yeah, it's been an incredible campaign for Northern Ireland, and really it's been in keeping with what Michael O'Neill and Northern Ireland have been doing for a number of years now. Obviously, they they qualified for Euro 2016 and then came within a whisker qualifying for the last World Cup, um, and four wins from the first four games. Now, a cynic might point out the way that Northern Ireland's campaign has panned out. They have their four easier fixtures 
to begin with before playing two in a row, two against uh, Germany and two against Holland. But, um, you know, they, they've given themselves a fighting chance. And in a group where two go through from, and a group that contains Germany and Holland, uh, I think it's an incredible run for Northern to still be in with a shout of qualifying at the stage of the campaign. Keith, what's been the reason for this turnaround between this campaign and the miserable time uh, that you had of it in the Nations League qualifying when you didn't pick up a, a single point? Obviously, yeah, that's that was a terrible, uh, terrible set of results for Northern. But really, what Michael O'Neill was doing, he used that campaign to test out certain players, maybe to, to bring in guys like Gavin White, um, who's been sensational, Jamal Lewis, who's been sensational, um, Billy Peacock Farrell, who who's done a great job. Um, obviously, now Burnley haven't been at Leeds, um, a top young goalkeeper. So he used that as a testing ground. Um, a lot of fans, some of the media weren't particularly happy with it at the time, but it's really borne fruit um, when it's came to the came to the real stuff. And he's got Northern Ireland playing incredibly well. What you need to remember um, from 2016, Northern Ireland have, have lost quite a few players. Chris Bunce retired from international football. Gareth McCauley's just announced his retirement from football. Aaron Hughes has also announced his retirement from football. Oliver Norwood has retired from international football to concentrate in the Premier League. Uh, with Sheffield United. So Michael O'Neill was forced to try new things and bring in new players, maybe slightly earlier than he ideally would have wanted to. But but so far it's worked well and, and they've uh, they've got a team that whether or not they qualify from this group, let's be honest, it's probably unlikely because of the three games they've got left. But they should get a playoff spot in March. And I think we're going to be very competitive in those Euro 2020 playoffs uh, if it comes down to that. Back in 2016... The Northern Ireland supporters won a lot of friends. Are, are there a lot of them out there in Rotterdam for Thursday's game? Well, this is the thing. Northern Ireland sold out their, their allocation of 3,000. Um, so there's a full 3,000 uh, in the away end, but we believe there's going to be somewhere between one and 2,000 uh, in the home end tucked away. Uh, maybe uh, donning an orange shirt rather than the green one. Um, but yeah, they believe there's going to be 5,000 Northern Ireland fans uh, in in Rotterdam for the game, which is which is incredible, really. Keith Bailey, yep, Northern Ireland in the Netherlands. I wonder how that went because it occurs to me, Tom, it's actually already happened by the time a lot of uh, people actually hear this show. It's uh, Thursday evening. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yes. Um, but it will be exciting. I mean, they've got another game with Netherlands coming up, and that's back at Windsor Park. Uh, would you be excited to see Northern Ireland gracing the Euro stage? You saw them at, at uh, 2016, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. And they was were, it a good game? Uh, it was the game that I saw. Unfortunately, was dreadful. And, right. And from a Northern Irish perspective, culminated in them losing. 1-0 to Wales, oh, part yeah. of their to a Gareth McCauley on goal. But, of course, the Northern Irish fans are one of the sensations of the tournament. My friend Tom Victor did interview Gala at the time and said, how, how do you feel that your, your song has now been turned into this chant for, right. for a now Wigan strike? And she was very pleasant. Right? Going, you know, this song was about peace being travelling around Europe and to see it travel around all of France. Right. And being used as a message of peace, I'm very free from of. desire. The yeah. one dismaying thing about it was coming across young Northern Irish fans who clearly only knew the chant from the chant and didn't remember the song, so didn't quite have the sort of familiarity with like the tune and and when like the na na nas kick in. But you know, the the song of the tournament. I was Absolutely. always a fan of the will 
Griggs is on fire of uh, Alicia Keys. If you were going to make a Will Griggs on fire, I mean, the um, Kings of Leon would be the obvious place mm. to go, but uh, it's certainly one of my favourite football chants. Hey, we could do a special section on your favourite football chants, or we could move on and say, speaking of big nights involving Northern Ireland, that's right, listener, we are heading to the limelight in Belfast on Saturday, the 9th of November, having been at Dublin's Liberty Hall the night before. Michael Cox will be there, Julian Laurence will be there, and Duncan, so will you, dog wounds permitting. <laughs> so, listen, if you fancy a little bit of that, uh, do get on to the totallyfootballshow.com forward slash events for all the details on how to acquire your ticket, or alternatively, one for uh, Dublin on the 8th, or Liverpool on November the 25th, uh, with the clock whisperer Raphael Honigstein. That'll be a special, special show. All right, Tom, let's talk about Wales. Wales, you're fourth. You're three points behind Slovakia, who you face tonight, and then you're four points off group leaders Croatia, who you face this Sunday. So absolutely crucial for Wales. The bad news is Aaron Ramsey's dropped out of the side. And Ryan Giggs is still in charge. Um, But apart from that, lots of reasons for positivity. No, the the top of Group E is quite tightly bunched. Hmm. Um, Wales three points off for the automatic qualifying places, but with the game in hand. They were absolutely dreadful last time out at home to Azerbaijan. Gareth Bale popped up with an 84th minute winner, which has sort of put them back in the mix. They beat Slovakia in the reverse fixture. Daniel James scoring his first international goal um, and if they can beat them this evening that'll put them right back in the mix uh, with Croatia to come on on Sunday obviously Aaron Ramsey a big miss against Slovakia could come back against Croatia okay. also doubts around Harry Wilson and um, Derby miscreant Tom Lawrence All right. um, but actually Wales have got quite a lot of options in those sort of attacking midfield roles what about young Rabbi Motondo who, who's currently making waves at Schalke Yes, Robert Matondo, who scored his first uh, Schalke goal uh, in his most recent outing against RB Leipzig. Yeah, that was a big win. I mean, he, he kind of made a lot of headlines with that, actually. Yeah, well, he'd been out for the first few weeks of the season with a foot injury, so hadn't played. So he joined Schalke from Man City last January in a sort of Jadon Sancho style, well, I'm not going to play under, under Pep, I'll join a big German club and see if things go any better there. I think he made a few appearances second half of last season. Started up front in this big game at RB Leipzig, scored this beautifully taken goal um, and then endeared himself to um, to Wales's fans afterwards when BT Sports tweeted a video of the goal along with a caption that said something like, oh, great to see another British talent ripping it up in the Bundesliga. Right. Uh, and, uh, and he replied with three Welsh flags, as if to say, nice. not British, but no. Welsh, which no. some Welsh people kind of go for right me not so much nice to see a rabbi getting another cap well <laughs> yeah. quite yeah. yes scotland little to laugh about their their hopes of finishing in the top two are all but over but they are guaranteed a playoff place isn't that right duncan yeah they've still got a place via the nations league which continues to slightly confuse matters <laughs> as a kind of sort of cheat code operating in the background but you know if there's a way to get there, absolutely get there. There's a lot of that around, actually. Teams who are guaranteed or almost guaranteed playoff places without their supporters necessarily realising. Wales are in the same boat. Oh, Wales really? will have if to try to. exceptionally hard right. because they were in Nations League B and didn't get relegated. It will actually be quite a feat for them not so to make the playoffs. So if your leader actually qualifies, that means that the playoff place drops down to you. I cannot explain it, okay. but I've had it explained to me and I retained the crucial information, I which was... I like the mystery about it. Yeah, it's a well, little it is bit like the end of that tweet. But, of course, Russia, who take on Scotland next, will be smarting after that 61-0 thrashing 
at the World Cup of Rugby. Not the best, not the best preparation that for the Scots. Uh, Republic of Ireland, if they win both away games uh, coming up, that's Georgia on Saturday and Switzerland on Tuesday, then they will be at Euro 2020. And exciting, the emergence of Aaron Connolly as well for a, a nation that's been uh, starved of finishing talent of late. Yeah, I mean, it was classic in the sense that, you know, scores two goals in a Premier League game and immediately gets called up to the international squad. It's, uh, sometimes there really is a pathway that you can uh, jump on. Bob Priestley tweeting in it. She's saying, uh, around international break, when players like this do get called up, they often say, I thought it was my mates playing a practical joke. Has anyone actually ever done this practical joke? It seems like a really bad one. It would be a bit rough to call it be friends, pretending to be the national team's manager and say, you've got a call up. Actually, I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I've never heard of an incident. I do know two or three transfer signings that have been delayed because the player has hung up repeatedly. Right. So, uh... Notoriously, Koulibaly didn't realise Napoli were trying to buy him because when the gentleman went, hey, it's Rafa Benitez I'm trying to buy, he went, yeah, funny, and just hung up really? at least three times. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know where this idea that it is a prank comes from, but quite a few players do genuinely believe it's their best mate. And it must happen because otherwise that wouldn't be the instinctive reaction of so many footballers. So maybe there's just an amerta about it, that it happens quite regularly, but no yeah. one has ever dared speak about it in public. Well, I think post-Rio's World Cup wind-ups, there was a massive <laughs> amerta amongst the prank community. Um, Nobody so, wants yeah. to get murked, do they? Sadly, sad that it wasn't before. <laughs> well, Rio's yes. World Cup wind-ups. Uh, on then to England who we'll be dealing with after this. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Nearly dying in a laundry basket. Special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games. Not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbegumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Listener, do you have an, another team? One that's not strictly speaking your nation, but still makes your heart flutter a little bit? Well, for producer Ben, it's the Czech Republic, who take on England this Friday in Prague. The Czechs have a side packed with players from Slavia, Prague, and are desperate for points, because they've got Revelations Kosovo only a point behind them. But they're also the team that provided England's easiest win so far in these qualifiers, 5-0 back at Wembley. So instead of talking about Friday's game, let's see why Ben loves them so much. Little known fact, listener, the Czechs are former European champions. Back in 1976, when they were known as Czechoslovakia, and there were only four teams in it, they beat West Germany in the final of the European Championships when someone called Antonin Panenka took his penalty in a peculiar manner. Twenty years later, those two nations went face-to-face again as the Czechs, now known as the Czechs, and the Germans, now known as, well, you get the picture, faced each other in the final of Euro 96. What a team the Czechs brought to that tournament. Producer Ben. Hello. Was that the moment you fell in love with the Narodny? I can't get enough of Czech Republic. Even to this day, I play as Czech Republic on, on any game of FIFA. All right, but why? Have. Why the Czech Republic? Because they had Pavel Nedved, they had Karol Paborski, and they had Patrick Berger, who is my favourite player of all time. Right. The most gorgeous footballer there has ever been. 
and very talented as well. Right, of course, and it tied in with your Liverpool affiliations too. Of course, right. of course. Um, yeah, they were they were such an exciting team. Euro 96, I was a very impressionable 16-year-old. They tore it up, if you remember. They made it all the way to the final. Would have been a magnificent story if they'd have beaten Germany in the final. Unfortunately, they didn't. But Patrick Berger still got on the score sheet that day with a penalty. Mm. Um, a left-footed rocket Duncan, yes. you look like you want to say something here. Well, I just wanted to point out that um, Patrick Berg is the third highest scoring player in Premier League history never to score a header. Damien Duff leads that category. But, but you know, Berger was all about the feet, particularly the left, so, as you said. So. Well, in his Premier League career as well, he, he scored four goals in his first one and a half games. Uh, he came on as a substitute against Leicester, scored two goals. Um, he was playing up front with Fowler and uh, Steve McManaman there for a really exciting Liverpool team. He came on for Stan Collymore in that game. Um, and then in his second game, when I believe he made his first start, 5-1 to Liverpool against Chelsea and he scored two goals and there were lots of headlines about Burger King and chips oh, yeah, that's <laughs> that <great>. sort of <laughs> stuff. Yeah. It was a great time to be alive. But it wasn't just Burger. Right. Radek Babel left back then. Yeah. Jan Suchaparek. Right. What, what about Vladimir Smitscher? Um, nice uh, to Smitscher. I mean, they were the headline tastic because you also had uh, a Freideck. Yeah, Martin Freideck. Yeah. Breakfast. All oh, right. I see. <laughs> and the manager does a urine. Yeah, wanted to make a joke about that. Okay, go on. <laughs> it's interesting, though, if you, uh, if you actually look back at the photographs yeah. of the Czech Republic in England during the build-up to Euronics I went to see them. Am yeah, I in the picture? I didn't see you, James, oh, okay. no. But there, there's a lot of pictures of Pavel Cernicek because, right. obviously, he was the Newcastle goalkeeper at the time. Right, he was one of the right. biggest names. So everyone, all the kids, school kids in Lancashire, wanted to be photographed with uh, with Cernicek and, you know, ignoring Paborski and Berger because they weren't big stars yet. I uh, Yeah, no, I went, they were billeted at Blackburn and I, I was dispatched up there to, 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 to do a report on them ahead of possibly the Germany game, actually. Yeah, and I, I found some some memories from the Lancashire Telegraph about nice. the team. And uh, they brought their own chef and he ordered a rabbit, some pot noodles and a lobster, which seems a weird trio. And the paper said lobster, which is known as a delicacy in the Czech Republic. I think, I think it's probably a delicacy <laughs> in, in most places. And a local bar lady remembered the players socialising with, with locals um, and she said they mainly drank Becks and Guinness. Right. But you've got to remember this is the mid-90s and that's, unless you're going to drink carling, that's pretty much all there was. That was all there was. Well, I wonder if England will be taking pot and noodles, a rabbit and a lobster <laughs> to Prague for, for Friday's encounter. When they went out, how heartbroken was what? A 16-year-old Ben Green? Well, I, I suppose they, it's not so much as they went out as they lost the final. Well, they lost, sorry, yeah. yeah. And was it was Oliver Bierhoff's golden goal. Yeah. Utterly devastated. A small. It was my first ever footballing memory was my mum saying... Uh, go to bed. You, I watched the first half and I went, go to bed. If the Czech Republic win, I'll buy you an ice cream after school on Monday. So wake up, happy as Larry, five years old, running around the place, go read a newspaper. Germans have won. No ice cream for Carl. No ice cream Devastated. for Carl. Devastated. Right. I mean, what was, what was really exciting about that team as well? I think there were seven of the squad played for Slavia Prague. So that's fairly similar to, oh, yeah. uh, nice. to this current squad. But then several of them went on to have very, very exciting transfers and careers. We talked about Berg already. He went to Liverpool. He was at Borussia Dortmund at the time there. Um, Smitscher went to Lons before he went to Liverpool, but you had uh, Pavel Nedved, who went to Lazio first, had a pretty good career. Mm. Uh, Karol Paborski. Well, Paborski became like a shorthand for, yeah. you know, players who do well in tournaments and then possibly get a transfer and don't live up to that. I mean, his scooped goal at Villa Park was probably the, one of the images of the tournament. Thing. Right. Uh, there's a really nice story, by the way, about Paborski and, right. and Patrick Berger, who were best friends growing okay. up and possibly still best friends now, their wives or partners were, were pregnant at the same time. Mm. 
And did they? Is, is this an Instagram thing or not? No. <laughs> not. Carol very proudly announced uh, the birth of his son. It was called Patrick. Right. It's really nice. And so, you know, expectation, therefore, Patrick is going to call his son Carol. Yeah. What does he do? It's pa- Rebecca. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> It's Patrick Jr. So I'm not sure they've ever forgiven each other. Right. Well, you can understand why. Brilliant. Heartbreak. Ben, that's wonderful. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that and inspiring us to do a little digging around and rummaging back in our own reminiscences. And as a special thank you, Carl has a little something (gasps) for the Ben Green Den. I don't believe it. It is, listener, uh, for the tape. Uh, This is a photograph of Patrick Berger, and it says to Ben, best wishes, Squiggle, which I think is Patrick Burger. It's a signed photo. And yes, a kiss. Oh yeah, there's a kiss in there as well. There is. It's quite lovely. Bingo. He's, quite he's you can add that to man. your collection. Interestingly, or not, the Panenka has an alternative name in the Czech Republic. Really? Where it's known as a Vrosovsky chip. What uh, is that? In honour of the Prague area of Vrosovci, um, which is where Bohemians have their stadium, and where Panenka honed the skill before okay. unleashing it upon the world in 1976. Right, and in Italy it's not called a Panenka either, it's called a cucchiaio. Indeed. A spoon. chip goes well with lobster, I'm hearing. Nice. There you go. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Do you have a favourite other team, Carl? Uh, I always like it when the Netherlands do well in the international yeah. tournament. Yeah. Uh, another follow-up from Euro 96. At the time, I obviously a small child, so I only watched the first half of games and had to go to bed for Champions League games and whatnot. So I grew up thinking Rudy Voller was the most evilest man of all time because clearly I'd wake up the next day and my dad would describe these games and he would give quite a lot of emphasis about how bad a man Rudy Voller was. Oh. Uh, probably because he loved the Netherlands as well. So. Okay. He gets very happy whenever he sees the photo of Rude. Uh... Oh, no, let's not talk about that. That's that's worse than a broken leg. Duncan, uh, do you have another nation? Uh, Zambia, I quite like. Okay. I've been to Zambia a couple of times. Um, it's, yeah, they obviously when they won the AFCON with the lowest pass completion of any team in that tournament, which is right. pretty impressive. Indeed, I'm still further to you. What's their nickname? The Chipolopolo. Which means? Uh, the boy copper the, bullets, isn't it? The, yeah, the copper bullet. Yeah, so the copper Zambian copper mine. Yeah, the uh, the copper industry is big in Zambia. I right. visited the the FA headquarters, um, and it, there was no one there, so we were able to walk in, and there was a cardboard box, and it was full of you know the pendants that teams swap before kickoff. Oh yeah, it's just a, hu- a huge cardboard box full of them, purely you know clearly just decades worth of pendants. Right, quite haunting. Yeah, yeah. magnificent. So as a, as a young Welsh football fan, one of the benefits of supporting a hopeless international team is that every time a major tournament came around, you got to pick which team you were going to support. Okay. And I remember in Euro 96 falling for Portugal um, in a sort of pre-Figo, Rui Costa era. You had the, the Pinto brothers, mm. João and Sa Pinto, Fernando Couto, sort of the first flowering of the golden generation. And I think, thinking back, all it took for me to fall in love with them was probably a nicely put together BBC montage. And that was it. I was a Portugal fan. Mm. Um, and does, that, cons- does that hold true to this day? Yeah. I mean, now that Wales are a little bit better, I don't feel the need to go elsewhere for my international fix. But I still, I still like Portugal. I've got the odd Portugal shirt. And as a consequence, when Karol Poborski scored his famous lob over uh, Vitor Bayer, um, I was pretty miffed. I see. Anyway, Czech Republic are taking on England this Friday in Prague. And, and as I mentioned, it is a big game for the Czechs because they do have the surprises. Kosovo uh, breathing down the neck, only one point behind them. 
It's interesting as well the the makeup of the side with uh, well, of the squad anyway with all these Slavia Praha players because they've they've been something of a surprise in in the Champions League so far that that club. But England looking terrific form four 0 winners against Bulgaria and then the five three against Kosovo and Duncan. Yeah, just to delve briefly back into nostalgia, oh. the, the only other time England have been played a competitive game in Czechoslovakia as it was then mm. was in 1975. Oh. Don Revy was manager. He hadn't lost the game by this point, and it was all looking like it was going to go well. They lost the Czechs. They then drew with uh, Tom's Portugal in the next game, failed to qualify for the for the Euros in 76. Obviously, the Czechs did make it and won the tournament. Right. Don Revy's career then spiralled into sort of, you know gloom and dismay so that match was pretty pivotal for both sounds ominous both for this time around doesn't it although the good news is that England do have a playoff thanks to the Nations League Germany Argentina Tom what happened Germany and Argentina drew 2-2 yes. uh, in Dortmund uh, quite an entertaining game and a game that um, reflected quite accurately where Germany are at the moment in the second half they were fantastic um, counter-attacking at pace Argentina who had Nicolas Otamendi and Marcus Rojo at centre-back how are those two still being picked by Argentina um, Germany a couple of goals in the first 22 minutes Serge Gnabry obviously man of the moment Kai Havertz he scored again he scored again. So that's what? Is that now 11 in 10 or...? Something like that. He is also um, in, uh, or he became in scoring that goal, the quickest Germany player to score 10 international goals, beating a record previously held by Miroslav Kloser. Um, Kai Havertz scored his first Germany goal uh, to crown a, a pretty impressive first-half performance by him. Um, and basically every time Germany went forward, Argentina were all over the place. Second half, Argentina changed their shape, switched to a back three, pushed their wing-backs up and Germany's most dangerous player in the first half had been uh, Lukas Klostermann, the uh, RB Leipzig right-back, uh, who was just constantly streaming forward down the right-hand side. Argentina sort of prevented Germany from attacking in that in that fashion. And yeah, I mean, as international friendlies often do, the game sort of drifted a bit in the second half. And Argentina got back into it. Uh, Lucas Solario pulled one back with a lovely header and then Lucas Acampos got one, uh, got an equaliser with five minutes to play after some over-elaborate uh, football from Germany in midfield and there were echoes of some of Germany's recent results the 4-2 the defeat to the Netherlands in this qualifying campaign the 2-2 draw with the Netherlands at the end of the Nations League when they'd been 2-0 up and letting two goals at the end and I think it shows that you know Germany when they're able to play this new sort of counter-attacking football that Jürgen Love is trying to introduce they look really good they look really impressive um, but as soon as they have to sort of adapt to a, a different phase of the game and, and play a, a bit more cleverly that that sort of lack of international experience does get exposed um, and yeah they did look they did look pretty flat by the end okay um, those Nabry stats according to the internet 11 in 10 for the national side or if you prefer in all competitions uh, 5 in 3 games because of course you got 4 against Spurs Tom is there a special match that you're looking forward to this weekend um, I'll be keeping an eye on Iceland France Friday evening, France without Hugo Lloris, Paul Pogba and Kylian Mbappe. So three of their big guns. Um, and it's quite tight at the top of their group. They're currently second below Turkey on head-to-head record. Ooh. Having lost to Turkey in June, uh, and then they play Turkey uh, at Stade de France on Monday. So if they win both of those games, they'll probably qualify. But if they drop points, it could get interesting. I mean, I say it could get interesting. They'll qualify anyway, because if not, they'll go into the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. But for the purposes of suspense. Brilliant. I'm really looking forward to your report on that come Monday's show. 
Let's have a little dip into our international mailbag. Here's one from Ricardo Mantio. He says, is the Mancini revival with the Azuria full storm or the start of something? It's interesting. They've won their last seven games, uh, the Italians. And I think most excitingly, they've got a really young squad. I'm not sure if you've seen the, the latest call-up, Carl, possibly not. But there's half the group are basically under 25, which is nice. And they've got an amazing midfield these days because uh, the, the, the kind of the coming names, Sensi, Barella, they're in there alongside Jorginho and Ferrati and Zaniolo, who's possibly the most technically gifted of the lot, uh, is, is, is back in after his recent disciplinary issues. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's looking uh, really interesting for them. Why are they playing in green, though, is the big question. Uh, they are, after all, known as the Azuri, but they've, they've gone with a green, uh, a, a kind of dark green thing for this Friday's game against Greece. And it's fair to say that it hasn't gone down very well. Oh, really? In it's their Italy. third kit, is it not? Yeah. Yeah, but they've never. Well, they've once used it before in 1954 for a friendly with Argentina. There's a bit of puff from the kit manufacturers saying, well, basically after that friendly in '54, the youth teams. I must. Admit, I didn't know this. Used the green jersey for a while. I guess because generally youth teams in Italy are known as primavera, spring. So it kind of reflected well on that. So they used the green jersey for a while. The Italian kind of youth selections and so uh, the kit manufacturers say the kit sponsors say that uh, given that young players are conquering such a big role in the current senior Azuri side we think the green is a kind of homage to that but um, most of the reactions only the press has been that it's all about another kind of green if you know what I, yeah. I mean it has I mean. been very much that season we've seen into we've seen PSG wearing their third kits at home in the Champions League it's you know the for for kit traditionalists, I think twenty nineteen twenty is the the season that it all buckles really. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But Italy playing in brown shorts and socks for the confederations in twenty ten, which I yeah. think was an homage to their World Cup kit in the olden days. Yeah. I in the, the day. Old yes. Coventry. Yes. One of the two. Uh, so yeah, white. It was a uh, the Boucher and then brown. Uh, shorts. Well, a lot of classic Italian kits came about either because of washing machine malfunctions or being literally sent the wrong kit. So I wonder if it was possibly that. Yeah, I mean, it, in other sports, in the reason the yellow jersey is the yellow jersey in the Tour de France is because ah. basically after the First World War, it came in after the First World War, there was loads of yellow fabric around. Um, it was much, it was cheaper than, than other colours because um, there was a surfeit. So, you know, something that's so iconic can have a fairly prosaic beginning. Right. Juve strip was not counties. Of course. Yeah. By the way, if you're a fan of random Italian chat about things back in the day, then you may want to know that Golazzo returns on Monday. The first episodes thereof will be dropping. They include such diverse topics as Zola, the great Cristiano Lucarelli, when Inter won the treble, and curiously, a man with orange hair who used to talk nonsense on TV and shout and wave his hands around. No, not that one. Aldo Biscardi, who is in the Guinness Book of Records as the man who hosted the longest-running TV show with the same presenter of all time. Brilliant. Uh, more mail. Basil McDaddy. Hello, Basil. Nice to hear from you. He says, we have to mention Yemen's World Cup qualifying campaign for 2022. Last month, they drew 2-2 against Singapore and Saudi Arabia by converting all four of their shots on target while maintaining an average possession of 24%. Can anyone on the panel, Duncan, recall a team doing so much with so little of the ball? Uh, Cardiff last year. I don't know if Neil Warnock is a popular figure in Yemen, but they seem to be mirroring some of Cardiff's results from last season. There so. you go. 
There you go. Oh, uh, on the subject of Asia World Cup qualifying, the, the big news is the fact that Iran against Cambodia coming up at the Azadi Stadium in Tehran, female fans will be allowed in to see the game. Uh, after that 40-year ban uh, prohibiting women from attending football games was lifted, and this partly a response to the, the tragedy involving the, the fan dubbed the Blue Girl who set herself on fire uh, before a trial for essentially dressing up as a boy to see a, a football match, which was the only way she could get in. I, I do recall that previously, I think it was last October, some fans were allowed in to see that friendly against Bolivia, but apparently the next day the Prosecutor General had warned there would be no repeat because it would lead to sin. Anyway, they've now gone back on that, and that is uh, a small step, but a very positive one. Good. After this, more of your questions and that big flip reverse. Adam Herman writes in. Hello, Adam. He says, I saw this earlier and thought that was funny because there's another guy called Pedacek who plays ice hockey. I didn't realise it was the Pedacek. That's right. Former Chelsea, Arsenal and Czech Republic netminder uh, and current technical and performance advisor to Chelsea, Pedacek, has joined what they call Guildford Phoenix. Guildford Phoenix, who are in the National Ice Hockey League Southwest Division 2. Tough league, that. Tough league. Well, they're currently second place in the... As you Easy know, league, that. Um, Easy league, right. I mean, good for Czech. I mean, he obviously stood out in football because he had to wear a head protection. That's true. Less of an issue in ice hockey. It's also been a massive week for Guildford because out of nowhere, right. Lewis Figo tweeted a picture of him in Guildford yeah, on the high street. What, what was that about? I haven't got a clue. Okay. But... Fair enough. And Can it be connected to the... There's an astronaut mm. standing in the street behind him, which I've not seen an explanation for yet, so... Just Guildford. This is yeah. really crazy. Guildford it's not a far crazy from, place. Guildford <laughs> not far from Reading, where they're looking for a new manager, so... Oh. Just saying. Peter Cech apparently will be making his debut as netminder uh, when the Guildford Phoenix take on Swindon Wildcats 2. At the Guildford Spectrum, that's on Sunday, the October 13th. Is that soon? Glamour overload, that. James, is it? A really, it's a nice rink, that, actually. I've been down there. I have no rink mm. knowledge rink. to speak of, so I'll take your word for it. As an ice hockey yes. lover, yes. would you say there's a lot of crossover between keeping goal in football and net minding? You know, will, will well, I would say, skills? yeah, no, I think the reflexes. He said that he played uh, the game as a kid, and the reflexes will be similar, no? I mean, it's, the key thing with uh, being an ice hockey keeper is not just your arm reflexes, which you'll have, but it's your abilities, and particularly for a big guy like him, to be able to get down low, because it's when they kind of butterfly the legs. That's huge. And, I, I mean, can he do it? I guess, I guess we'll find out on October the 13th at the Guildford Spectrum uh, uh, ice arena. Will his inability to play out from the back be as big an issue in ice hockey, or is that as as that has as ice hockey had its Guardiola revolution? Yet? No, or is that no. Why, I mean, if it has, gone? I'm not familiar with it. But anyway, uh, funnily enough, he's not the only footballer to have that kind of crossover with ice hockey skills because Andrei Shevchenko could, so he says, been an absolutely top ice hockey player for Ukraine uh, had he not decided at the age of 14, when faced with the choice, I'll go with the football. Uh, talented guy, Shevchenko. Uh, as we mentioned, he's currently top of his group. He is indeed. Which others? Which other? Here's a little interlude. Which other footballers could have had a top-flight career in another discipline? Could have. Uh, yeah. Or I, did. Oh, go uh, on, Carl. Uh, I know James Beattie could have been a champion swimmer. Um, so up until the age of 13, he was uh, second in the country for oh, really? butterfly and whatnot. And then I think he, well, he got a bad doctor's diagnosis and was given a choice and he opted to go for football instead. Mm. Uh, someone I know who did, uh, Lizarazu, 
uh, who, after shortly after his retirement, decided to try his hand at jiu-jitsu, and I think he became a European champion. Really? He's also a big surfer. Yeah. Wore the number 69, Lizzo Strange character. And that was because it was the number of his département in France. Okay. He That's said. what he said. Representing. He said. Hmm. Phil Neville. Could yeah, have been a cricketer. cricketer. Yeah. Right. Okay. Hmm. James Beattie is a swimmer. Obviously, as a footballer, he was, he was known for chewing gum quite a lot. I don't think he could have pulled that off as a swimmer as, <laughs> right. as easily. But right. maybe he could. Okay. Uh, Ian Botham, of course, was famously a talented footballer. Uh, interesting. Uh, question for Carl here. Would you take Max Allegri at United tomorrow but risk the next two years being boring under his pragmatism? Or would you wait till the end of the season and try for Poch? I'd wait for the end of the season and try for Poch. I see. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Max Allegri is quite interesting. He he talks about. Is football. that a real thing? Um, yes. So Allegri, we know for a fact Allegri is taking English lessons, and uh, has expressed interest in managing in England, both in the event Poch had won the Champions League and left Tottenham Hotspur, and also trying to figure out what United were doing. Um, so what I understand is he doesn't want to manage. He doesn't want to come in part in January at the end of the January window. So he's more or less, if you want to hire me, hire me now. Um, I would much rather prefer Pochettino to Allegri. I think Pochettino is a slightly better manager um, than Allegri. It's splitting hairs between the two of them. Um, but yeah, but yeah, at the moment, it is just the fact that I think Pochettino, he knows the league better. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, did you have a progression as well to go from a manager who knows the club to a manager who knows the league? Mm. Like that they be might slightly end up with a manager that knows the sport. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Cool. I uh, would One recommend day. there's a really good piece in the Players' Tribune from Max Allegri where he basically describes what it's like watching a Champions League final and watching Cristiano Ronaldo just switch it on and destroy your team in 10 minutes. Mm. It's, it sounds utterly torturous as a manager. I planned everything. This is the biggest moment in my career. He's done what? Oh, that's a bad bicycle kick. Mm. Um, so I would recommend that to anyone. Okay, very good. Uh, James Massey has an interesting question. He says, we've all seen how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer have done at Man United. But how have Moldy done without him? Interesting. Well, James, the answer is Moldy currently five points clear at the top of the table in Norway. And their four-game winning run was brought to an end with a surprise nil-nil draw with Bran, uh, I think most recently. From Game of Thrones? No, I don't think it's the same one. Um, but anyway. Looking on course to their first. Bran have lots of nils-nils, but then that's to be expected in that part of the world. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Very good. Here's one for you, Tom. Paul Hunt says, the A-League starts this weekend. Could Tom give us some Aussie phrases like slice of cheese? What is slice of cheese? Slice of cheese has a slightly convoluted backstory. It refers to an FFA Cup match in 2014 between South Hobart and Tuggeranong United. Um, and uh, because the competition was in its infancy, uh, Hobart, South Hobart... Uh, employed some local commentators to commentate on the match which they then streamed on their website um, and the the three amateur commentators hadn't done much commentating before and basically just bantered their way through the entire game and you can find footage of this on YouTube and it is very amusing and they came up with various different um, unique terms to describe things and one of them was to refer to yellow cards as slices of cheese so there's one bit where someone gets gets a book and it's like and it's a uh, Slice of cheese for Harry Petit. Uh, Sir Chips Keswick, could Duncan comment on the story that Edgar Davids is buying Wickham Wanderers? Is yes. it true, Duncan? Is Edgar Davids buying Wickham As Wanderers? As revealed by David Ornstein in his first feature for The Athletic. Really? Um, it's a, 
apparently a consortium, um, which also contains Ronald Koeman, Dennis Bergkamp, Henrik Larsson. It's, it's a who's who of, of the late 90s, early 2000s. Wickhamer, there's also an, an American consortium who are in, in pole position. Really? But, yeah. So times are changing, but um, it's quite interesting that that group of players are looking... I mean, I'm sure if, if they... Doesn't work out with Wickham, they'll look at similar sized clubs. I mean, there's been rumours about South End as well. So, you know, I think maybe they've seen what Salford have done and want to kind of replicate that um, at a club that's in the South. Right. One more from the post bag, and it's from Mitchell Sterling, who says, I have a flip reverse for you. How about in May 2012, Joey Barton doesn't get sent off against Man City? Aguero doesn't happen. Man United win the league. What next? Well, Mitchell, that's such a great uh, subject for a flip reverse that we'll save it up for a special one after we hear now from producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Lee Price is on the line to talk about the odds for this international break. Lee, let's start with England. There have been loads of goals in these games recently. Can they get five against the Czech Republic? (laughs) I really love being confident about England, but it does feel a bit weird and ever so slightly disingenuous. However... The Paddy Power traders are based in Dublin, of course, so they're totally unbiased. And they're confident about England too. It's two to five comfortable favourites that England win this one, with the Czechs six to one. As for the goals, it's ten to one England score five or more. It's only odds on they score at least two, but that should still be enough to do the job. If you do fancy a 5-0 win, by the way, you can get 45 to one on that one. We heard from Keith Bailey a little earlier on in the show. He's in Rotterdam to see Northern Ireland take on the Dutch. Give us some numbers on this game, please. Hmm, interesting. At first glance, you might think, God, Northern Ireland are in trouble. They are, after all, 22-1 to to win Group C, which does contain Germany and Holland. Not sure anyone's mentioned that yet. Which also explains why it's 7-1 to they qualify from the group to reach Euro 2020. But then there's the playoffs, and we're more hopeful here. We make it 10-3, to Northern Ireland not only reach the playoffs, but qualify for Euro 2020 via them. And finally, Iceland, they've been known to cause a shock in international football once or twice. Can they do something against the French? Well, they're the same price as England to win away from home on Friday night, 2-5. to five. Not clear if that's actually a good sign or not. If you fancy an upset, anyone know if Iceland has a record of those? You can get 6-1 to one on the hosts, or 16-5 to five on the draw. Or my favourite bet is the double chance where you can choose two outcomes in a match. So in this case, an Iceland win or a draw is 13-8. to eight. Listen, you can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop now. Ooh, sounds like a little bit of flip reversing coming up. Mitchell Sterling posed a question a short time ago. What would happen if Joey Barton hadn't been sent off in that key Man City QPR game in May 2012? Would we never have had that special Martin Tyler moment? Balotelli, Aguero! Do Man City still win that game with that famous Aguero goal? What, what, what happens afterwards, Carl? Let's pretend Manchester City don't win that game and Manchester United do win the league. I believe with one extra league title that early on, I think Alex Ferguson, having been humbled against Barcelona, goes, yeah, that's probably a good place to leave it. And then leaves early. I'm going to assume this 
changes the pathway of Wayne Rooney's later career because okay. if he wins the league a bit earlier and doesn't have to go out and get Robin Van Persie, that means Rooney stays as the central pivot of that Manchester United team. Robin Van Persie goes, well, I'm going somewhere. Manchester City go, we need a new striker. Get Robin Van Persie. They probably spend more than eight million. I imagine with Robin Van Persie's at Manchester City, that means one of Edin Dzeko and Mario Balotelli, or perhaps both, leave uh, Manchester City. I know for a fact that Edin Dzeko is very, very, very heavily linked to Borussia Dortmund at the time. So let's say Dzeko goes to Dortmund and becomes their new Lewandowski. So that's a fun little game you want to play there. Manchester United new manager. Shall we pretend they keep David Moyes? Well. I mean, looking at the timing, mm. in December 2012, in like actual reality, Alex Ferguson has his dinner with Pep Guardiola and suggests that before he makes his next move, could he perhaps keep Fergie informed? Guardiola later claimed that he hadn't actually understood what Ferguson was talking about because he couldn't make sense of his accent. But if United win the league in May 2012, in that sensational fashion, pipping City on the last day of the season, breaking their hearts in that way, Ferguson realises that it's not going to get any better. Bows out of the top. And he can get at Guardiola because he will have just left Barcelona. And yes, right. he's heading off on his sabbatical, but here's this chance to take over for one of the greatest managers in the history of football with this team that's just won the league. So I suspect that there'll be a much higher chance of Guardiola coming in. And if Guardiola replaces Ferguson rather than David Moyes, then... Wow. Everything is different. United remain on their perch, get even better. A thousand light aircraft remain on their perch. Well, runway. yes, <laughs> indeed. And Paul Pogba, who leaves Man United in the summer of 2012, knowing that Ferguson's going to st- sticking around and isn't going to get any game time, suddenly thinks, oh, there's a new manager coming in. Maybe I'll right. stay here. Guardiola comes in, sees that actually that United team isn't all that good and has been basically held together by bits of sellotape and blue tack, starts looking at changes he can make and oh there's this big leggy Frenchman in the uh, in the youth team maybe I'll give him a go brilliant that's extraordinary no, I disagree oh. right so I, what I reckon happens is Guardiola is approached as per Tom and Carl's theory but he looks at the club and he realises that you know, but David Moyes, etc., should have realised that it's you know it's not being run that well. It's not uh, it's not set up like City or Barcelona or Bayern are. So he turns down United. So what happens in 2012-13? City are just in pieces because they blew the league. They're psychologically destroyed. United are in turmoil. They maybe they do appoint David Moyes, but he just happens one one season sooner. Van Persie decides to stay. He looks at the turmoil at both City and United and says, says no. I'm having one more season. Arsenal's convinced me we can do this. Right. They do do it. A year later, Wenger's looked back at his once foe, now friend, Alex Ferguson, retiring at the top. He then retires at the end of 2012-13 from Arsenal. Pep Guardiola comes into Arsenal for 13-14. Wow. That's amazing. Where does Jose Mourinho finish up in all of this? Um, Oldham, instead of Paul Scholes. <laughs> right. And the I rest is history. If, I do think if Edin Dzeko does leave and go to Dortmund, there's a very good chance Klopp stays at Dortmund for a little bit longer as well. Wow. Because I think a large part of Dortmund's eventual decline was the fact they didn't properly... Maybe Mourinho then goes to Liverpool. Brilliant. Well, it just goes to show, listener, tinker with the timeline at your peril. Because those ripples... It's crazy, isn't it? We're going to do some more flipping reverse on Monday, I think, Tom. Not sure what about. Do LVG go into Spurs? Uh, Haven't they suffered enough? If Van Gaal goes to Spurs instead of going to Manchester United, that dramatically changes the pathways of at least four members of Spurs' team, most specifically Christian Eriksen. Wow. 
Okay. Well, that's a suggestion. There'll be others, I'm sure, for Monday's show, which will feature the vocal talents of Tom Williams, but also Michael Cox and Matt Davis-Adams. Brilliant. Many, many thanks, everybody, for being with us today. Tom, Duncan, and Carl, a new listener. Join us again on Monday. Have yourselves a great weekend, whatever it is you're going to be up to, and we'll catch up with you afterwards. Cheerio. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.